You're listening to the Lost Mountain Podcast. Lost Mountain exists to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. We hope today's message encourages you towards a deeper relationship with Christ. If you have questions from today's message, email us at info at lmbc.us. Link is in the show notes. So I am currently on day nine of solo parenting. since Julie and Beth have been in South Africa. And I found out very early this morning that their flight has been canceled. So they will no longer be returning to the Atlanta airport tomorrow morning. They will be returning Tuesday afternoon. So I get a solid 11 days out of this. And you can tell by the sound of my voice that I am a little under the weather this morning. I barely made it but I am here. And honestly, I'll say this, I wouldn't have missed it just for the opportunity to hear the people of God singing together this morning. I mean, that was a a wonderful time of worship that we were able to engage in before we turn our attention to God's word this morning. But we are celebrating fatherhood today. And so so a couple of things that have taken place in this nine-day run that I'm finding out are very uh, interesting when it comes to children. You can't make one kind of noodle, all right? So last night, I had two pots on the stove, and they had different noodles in each pot. One kid actually ate their noodles, and the other kid that wanted a different kind of noodle just sat there and looked at it and didn't bother eating it, and about 20 minutes later asked for something different anyway. And so this can't really like fare well for me the longer we go into this. And so I am ready for Julie to get home. Also, I was getting my uh, shirt ready this morning to be ironed. And as soon as I put it on, I noticed this line going across it. A lot of you probably wouldn't have noticed if I hadn't have said anything, but I just wanted to get that out there just in case you happen to be looking at my shirt this morning and saying, what's wrong with his shirt? There's a line on it, and I don't know where it came from. I don't know if, I just don't know how to iron that well, but this is me being completely vulnerable before you this morning. I'm not feeling well. My wife has been gone overseas for almost 10 days. I can't iron my shirt. These things have been frustrating, but nevertheless, we turn our attention to God's word this morning, but before we do, I want to acknowledge what we are celebrating today specifically, and that is fatherhood. And to the men currently raising children of your own, continue demonstrating that our heavenly father is consistent and present. To the men who've stepped into the role of fatherhood through foster care, adoption, or caring for a family member's child, continue demonstrating that our heavenly father adopts us into his family through the atoning work of Christ Jesus. To the men currently estranged from their children and want nothing more than that relationship to be mended, may the God of all comfort provide a path for you leading to peace and to reconciliation. And to the men grieved by the loss of their fathers who are navigating a strained relationship with their fathers or carry the wounds of absentee fathers. Remember, based on Psalm 68, 5, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, 
is God in his holy dwelling. So fatherhood, like everything else in all of God's creation, is in the process of being renewed by the finished work of Christ. And until that takes place, let's place ourselves under our heavenly Father's acceptance that's ours in Christ. I'm so glad you're here this morning. I'm so glad uh, specifically for the fathers in this room that you're staying in the game and you want to model the consistency of our Heavenly Father to your families. That's very commendable. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 4. Just by way of recap, Matt covered the first three chapters of Genesis last week. We're going to press fast forward a little bit and try to cover chapters 4 through 11 today. But man, uh, if you haven't had the opportunity to listen to Matt's message from last week, go ahead and at some point this week, jump on our website or our YouTube channel and check that out. Also, if you haven't downloaded the Lost Mountain app yet, wherever you get your apps, you can follow along with the notes every week. Uh, if you've yet to get that, go ahead and download it in the app store and you can follow along with our notes today. But Matt covered specifically uh, the purpose, the problem, and the promise last week. And I just wanted to briefly touch on those again before we get into Genesis chapter 4 this morning. He said that the purpose of creation is to display the community and love of God and invite us into that. He also said that the problem of life is sin, and we are all groaning under its results. Everything about sin has been completely devastating to our lives from the moment it entered into the world. But the promise of God is that one is coming. The word present at creation, Jesus the Son, he will live the righteous life that we can't. Die the, sacrifi die the sacrificial death that, we sh that should be ours and will demonstrate his defeat over sin and death by his resurrection. And back up to Genesis chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 real fast. I want to highlight something that's going to be a consistent theme that we're going to see throughout our time together this morning. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, it says, So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. This is after everything has taken place. Uh, Adam and Eve are officially banished from the garden because of their participation in the deception of the serpent. And verse 24 says, after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. If you mark in your Bibles or are taking notes, go ahead and circle or underline where it says on the east side. Because something very interesting about Hebrew literature is that it's very intentional. And we're going to pay close attention uh, to that as we make our way through the text this morning so with that said, let's jump to Genesis chapter 4, and let's just dive right in with everybody's favorite story. Some of you got that. 
So beginning in verse 1, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you, do, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me out from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord will put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him will kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod. What does that say? east of Eden, something very significant as well. So we'll stop right there, and we'll pray and ask the Lord to continue to uh, add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity for us to be in this place today. I thank you for every heart that's gathered in each one of these chairs, and I just pray, Father, that we would just rest in the full assurance, knowing that we are acceptable before you through the atoning work of Christ Jesus, his sinless life, his substitutionary death, his burial, his bodily resurrection. These are what to make us acceptable in your sight. It has to do with him. It has to do with his sacrifice. And we are grateful recipients of that gospel message this morning. And I pray over the one that may be amongst us today that is not so sure about that, that in this very moment you would begin to soften their hearts in such a way today to where they would be uh, receiving of that gospel message or at least understand where it's coming from so that you will accomplish your purposes for the reading of your word. We give you this time and just ask that you would bless it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
So uh, though intimate fellowship with God is fractured because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, as we saw in Genesis chapter 3, his grace is still evident. God will sustain life through Eve. And you have to wonder at this point, because this is the first pregnancy that has ever taken place, right? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about Adam having questions in his mind about why Eve might be putting on a little bit of weight? I mean, that's weird to think about, right? And him having to deal with her not necessarily receiving those words in the best way possible. Is this one of those things where Adam asks Eve if they should, like, request that God find a bigger animal skin for her so that she could wear it or what the deal is. Nevertheless, this is the first pregnancy. These are things that are happening that have never happened before. And so the birth of Cain and eventually Abel demonstrate that God still has plans for the human race. Because Adam and Eve had to have been wondering at this point as a result of everything that had happened, the catastrophe of being separated from God, will he continue to fulfill his purposes for the reason that he created us? But he gives them Cain. He gives them Abel. And it's a demonstration of his continued grace. So Abel becomes a rancher and Cain a farmer. The two bring an offering before the Lord, and Abel's is the, favor, is the favored offering. Why is that? I'm glad you asked. Because I personally believe that Abel's offering consisted of the best Texas barbecue in the land. Now, here's what I mean when I say that, okay? The text indicates that he brought fatty portions. And if you know anything about Texas barbecue, you know that if you're in a good barbecue establishment, you go to place your order and they have a question that they ask you. Do you want fatty or do you want lean? In other words, how do you want your brisket? All right, do you want a fatty portion of it or do you want a lean portion of it? And you always go with the fatty portion because it locks in the flavor. And I know 99% of you hate this word, but it is moist and good. And it is pleasing to the taste buds. That is representative of excellent Texas barbecue. So that is what Abel offers to the Lord and it is acceptable and pleasing in his sight. But I digress. Obviously, that's not real. So there's a scriptural principle known as the law of the first fruits. This is the idea that when the first return of our labor appears, we give it back to God as an act of trust that he will continue to provide. The text doesn't communicate that God rejects Cain or that he's angry about it. He just sees when a heart is devoted to him and when a heart is simply going through the motions. That's why Cain's offering is not accepted. Because both of them present an offering, but one of them is actually intentional about what he sets before the Lord. But one of them, it's kind of like, eh, it's some of it. I mean, he'll receive it. 
He won't be that upset about it. But this is the first point that I want us to consider this morning because this actually speaks to us as individuals today. What are we offering before the Lord that is acceptable and pleasing in his sight? So if you're taking notes this morning, you can fill in the blanks where it says, God is worthy of the best of my flock, not merely some of my crop. And so, are you and I living with a faith that produces the deep trust that God will provide for us? We will give the first fruits as an act of trust that God is going to provide for the future. And that's what Abel did. But unfortunately, that's what Cain refused to do. And this manifests itself different, in different ways for us today. So like, do you budget your finances in order to give back to God generously and sacrificially? Do you structure your day recognizing that your heart may plan your way, but it is the Lord who establishes your steps? So are you giving God from your first fruits or are you simply tossing in the leftovers? And as I was piecing this together this week, I mean, it's such an interesting thing when you have to stand before people and, and craft a message from God's word in such a way because it is, um, it's kind of plucking at my heartstrings before I stand before anyone and, and preach that. So I have to ask myself these questions in order to be able to stand before you and ask them if you are as well. And so where are we in our, our, radical, our radical generosity and our sacrificial giving when it comes to what rightfully belongs to the Lord? Because each and every day we have the opportunity to fill our lungs with breath and uh, we have functional use of our appendages simply because God wills it so. Everything about our lives, everything about our mobility, everything about our opportunities to go and to earn so that we can have the home and the food and raise the children and buy the two different kinds of noodles so that they will eat them is because God wills it so. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. As I made that reference on week one of this series in the general overview of the book of Genesis, God is the sustainer of all of life. And so are we giving him from our first fruits or are we simply tossing him the leftovers with a lack of regard for who he is and the amount of blessing that he has poured out on our lives so that we may be benefactors of his good creation? Now, it's significant to note that Cain doesn't envy his brother's wealth or success either. He envies Abel's spiritual status. If you've been in church for any length of time, you understand that church folks have a problem with envy from time to time. So hear God's warning from, or to Cain, back in verses 6 and 7 of Genesis chapter 4, then the Lord said to Cain, why, why are you angry? 
Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I mean, this is what's waiting on us every single day of the week, right? Sin is crouching at your door. Matt made mention of it last week. Sin is often crouching at your door on your way to Sunday morning Bible study or to the Sunday morning service. Your kids are driving you insane. Your spouse is driving you insane. This is another opportunity for the enemy to get a foothold on our lives, to distract us from the things that God wants us to concentrate on while we're here together worshiping as the body of Christ. And so what are these things that we become susceptible to over and over again, the amount of sin that crouches at our door that we just give way to. And sometimes we're not even thinking about it. Sometimes we just end up angry, like with this line across my shirt that every one of you keeps looking at. Stop looking at the line on my shirt, okay? So go to Genesis 4, 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where, where is your brother Abel? And look at the disregard of his response. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And and this this is interesting because if you'll recall in Genesis chapter three, verse nine, when the Lord is walking to find Adam and Eve after everything had happened, What does he say? He says, where are you? Do you legitimately think that God doesn't know where they are? So why is God asking questions if he is the omniscient God who knows everything? It's simply that he is graciously offering Cain the opportunity to acknowledge the condition of his heart through confession. Sin crouched at Cain's door and completely consumed him, but God is inviting him to come clean and confess. And it is no different for you and I. When sin crouches at our door, when it masters over us from time to time, God is asking, hey, where are you at? Where'd you go? So when God asks where you are, it is my recommendation to you as it is to myself that you run to him as fast as you can. Don't stay in the darkness. Take him at his word that he is the wonderful counselor whose intention is always restoration. His intention is always to restore you. Don't be afraid of his question. Hey, where are you? I was thinking about this as I was writing it down, and there have been so many opportunities or times in my life where where I have been susceptible to uh, a particular shortcoming, and I just had this picture in my mind of uh, God asking, Jake, where are you? And I instantly wanted to be like, hey, I'm right here. I'm right here. Come find me, please. I, 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 can't, I, I can't get out of this. I, I need to be able to get out of this. I'm right here, please. This is where I'm at. And so, we need, to, we need to be that way when it comes to God asking us, where are you? Where are you? But Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? 
So what Cain is demonstrating over and over again is that he prefers the darkness over the light. And I probably wouldn't have to ask for a show of hands, but how many times have we as individuals preferred dark places over light places with the decisions that we've made? I mean, we've all been there. We've all made a decision completely contrary to the character of God, and we've often surprised ourselves. And don't pretend like you don't have a, a thought or two that comes to your mind throughout the day, and you're thinking to yourself, where did that come from? My goodness, I'm surprised at myself that I had a thought like that so horrendous or despicable. Sin grows deep, and it is there, and it is present, and we have not been completely delivered from its presence yet because simply Jesus has not come back yet. And so even the Christian, especially the Christian, the follower of Jesus, is going to deal with sin until that happens. And so this is an opportunity for us to gather as the corporate body of believers in Christ in this local context to be able to encourage one another. This should be the most open and honest body of people that we interact with on a weekly basis. And in order for us to get there, it's going to have to get pretty uncomfortable. But at the same time, it's worth it. It's worth it because we need one another. Intergenerationally, like the fact that I, I love that our home groups, and we wanted this to happen, and I'm so glad that it did, but our home groups this summer have so many different generations present in them. We have older people, we have younger people, and they're bouncing ideas off of one another. And, and older people are sitting there and being able to process how younger people think and vice versa. And there is this deep encouragement that is taking place in these home groups that will inevitably result in us growing closer and closer to one another and being able to trust one another as this particular family of God should. So ironically, Abel's blood is what cries out from the ground when he himself has not uttered a word in the story at all. Have you noticed that? Abel doesn't talk in the story. Cain has made the decision to remain in darkness. Therefore, God banishes him from community with a severe type of mercy. That's a severe mercy. The mark that God places on him is certainly a reminder of his sin, but will place him under God's divine protection. Isn't it amazing to see how quickly God follows judgment with grace? That's what he does. He follows up his judgment with his grace. In Genesis 4, chapter 16, there it is again. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. We move on and things kind of go from bad to worse. We pick it up in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. 
recall in Genesis 1 that everything that God saw was good, right? And God saw that this was good. And God saw what he created, and it was good. But when we get to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness had become in all of his creation, and it is absolutely not good. So God is greatly grieved that he has created community and that they have intentionally ruined what he created as beautiful. Verses 6 and 7 right there of chapter 6, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. So humanity is continuing to take its cue from Cain for favoring the darkness, but a bright spot appears in the person of Noah. Blameless among the people of his time, he walked faithfully with God. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So, right, God gives him a very odd blueprint to uh, construct a very large boat. He takes his Father's Day gift card. He goes and buys all of the cypress wood in the local Home Depots that he could get his hands on, and he constructs this boat. And we know the story from there. We know that God is wanting to uh, deliver a family through this action, yet completely destroying everything that he has created aside from this person and his family who found favor in his eyes. And so God is starting over with the one righteous man he could find, but don't think that he isn't aware that this catastrophic flood will not change the human heart. God's very much aware of that. And so we get to the moment where they are leaving the ark. And you remember what Noah did as soon as they get out? He offers a burnt offering. And go down to chapter 8, verse 21. It says, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. See? God is very much aware that what he has just accomplished has uh, no remedy for the human heart in and of itself because uh, though Noah was righteous and found favor in God's eyes, he and his family still have a sinful and wicked inclination. So God cannot, look, cannot overlook sin because he's holy. His commitment to creation is costly in terms of grief and pain and betrayal, but he will not give up his purposes on creation. Let's, let's be a little bit vulnerable this morning, okay? How many of you in here at some point in time have thought... <clears throat> that God was more vindictive than he is loving. <laughs> Some of you are like, 
I don't know if I'm supposed to raise my hand. <laughs> I have a few confident people out there that are like, yep, I've felt that before. I, I mean, that, that's the human condition, right? We undergo certain situations and circumstances that are so beyond our control, yet we think that God should intervene because of who he is. And we think somehow that that's vindictive. But it's not. God is demonstrating who he is as a loving father and not an angry tyrant. We have to understand who God is in light of the totality of the Scripture. Like take, for instance, Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Hallelujah for that. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. And so as I mentioned during the first week, uh, the curtain on Noah's time falls, and yet we come to this very obscure passage in Genesis chapter 11 that has to do with the Tower of Babel. Very interesting, right? Let's go ahead and turn there. And read this real quickly together. So kicking off in verse 1 of chapter 11, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Remember, we talked about this as well. This is the human condition, right? This is at the heart of self-righteousness and self-absorption. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to plant our flag. We want to be important. We want to shine in whatever uh, type of discipline that we're in. And there's nothing wrong with that to the extent of it is God glorifying. But at the same time, we want to begin to receive the fruit of our labors. And so these people want to make a name for themselves. In verse 6, the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. 
That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over all the face of the earth. So this is the folly of human arrogance continuing to replay itself over and over again. And God's command is to multiply and fill the earth, but the people in this situation defy God's command and they choose to stay centrally located where they're at. So the irony is uh, the people want to build a tower that reaches to the heavens, but what does the Lord do? What does the text say? He comes down. The Lord comes down to see what they're building. And so this is just further clarifying Psalm 115 verse 3 that says, our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. This area of Shinar is obviously the area of Babylon. And verse 2 says the people continued, what? To move eastward. Let's talk about that for a second. We've seen that in several places now. When God initially banishes Adam and Eve, he banishes them eastward. And we've seen this play out in different scenarios now because you can see that the further we invest in the destruction of our own selves, the further and further east we move away from God and his promises and the original paradise that he created for us. Make no mistake about it, that is there intentionally. And it's there to demonstrate to us that the more that we remain in darkness, the further and further away we want to be from anything that was initially created as good, that God wants us to be a part of. But yet these people in these circumstances, they continue to move further and further away from it. So God, in an act of judgment, accomplishes his purposes of scattering people over the face of the earth by confusing the language. God is grieved because of human sin. And what we do is we continue to trivialize it. This results ultimately in us being consumed by it. Justin Martyr in the second century says this, to yield and give in to our sinful desires is the lowest form of slavery. To rule over such desires is the only true freedom. I recall another instance in scripture where the language is once again confused. This time God in an act of grace allows those from every nation under heaven to hear the wonders of God in their own language. This time, the Holy Spirit rests upon the disciples in what appear to be tongues of fire, and a different scattering is about to take place. It's the scattering that will call people like you and me to turn away from our horrible attempts to rule ourselves and trust completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ because he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds we have been healed. So God, in an act of grace, once confuses again the language, but for the purpose of making known the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
And you and I are grateful recipients of that gospel message, even today. So make no mistake about it. In the midst of us constantly devastating ourselves by our inclination toward sinful activity, by our further moving away eastward from Eden. He has a plan and a purpose that one would come. He would be the deliverer of our sins. As I mentioned in my prayer earlier, his sinless life, his substitutionary death, his burial, his bodily resurrection, and his imminent return is the only thing that makes us right in front of the holy and creator and sustainer of all things. It's his work. You and I do not pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and think we can do anything about our sinful nature because the only thing that we bring to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. And I struggled with this last point, but the simplicity of it just made me think, yeah, that's what it is. God wants us to repent. He just wants us to repent. He wants, to turn, he wants us to turn away from habitual sinful activities and run to him, as I said before, so that we no longer wallow in the things that were completely destructive to us. And so I want to give you an opportunity uh, to, to sort of come before the Lord in humility this morning. This is something different than what we usually do, but I want to invite you guys to reflect on any temptation or sin that you simply need to confess to God right now. Maybe there's something that you just can't let go of or you can't stop participating in and you beat yourself up over it. But as we read from Psalm 108, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He is a graceful and loving God, not a, not a tyrant. Will he judge sin? Absolutely. Sin is everything that is contrary to his character and it prevents us from being further conformed into the image of his beloved son. And so he will deal with that. But with God's judgment, grace is very nearby. So I wanna invite you this morning, uh, where you're at, just to, to say a simple prayer, like, Holy Spirit, search my heart. See if there be any offensive way within me. And we're gonna have an opportunity here in just a few minutes. You can go ahead and finish your connection cards and any information you would like us to have. And 
If you are giving today, we certainly appreciate that. Those envelopes are available to you in your program. You can feel free to drop those into the offering buckets as they make their way by here in just a few minutes, or you can place them in the drop boxes that are inside and outside of the worship center. As Tori said before, um, we certainly contri- we certainly appreciate your contribution to the ongoing mission of what God has called us to do in this place and now all over the world. And so thank you for that. But I want you to have the opportunity to say, Holy Spirit, search my heart today. I, I need a heart check and, and I want to hear your voice speaking to me to rid myself and my lives of the things that are contrary to your character. And here in just a few moments as we sing, we're going to have an opportunity as a church to receive communion together. This is for every baptized believer in this place who have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in their hearts that God has raised him from the dead. Because as we partake in these elements together today, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. This ordinance is for the family of God. And so if at any point during the next song, you can make your way to one of the communion stations. We have a couple of gluten-free options back there if you need that. But take some time before you partake of the elements to ask the Lord, please, please rid me of the things that I need to be rid of this morning. So let me pray for us. Father, you are a gracious and loving and compassionate Father. So much so that you recognize the predicament that we found ourselves in. And you enacted a plan of redemption that could not be taken care of by any sort of human action. So I pray this morning that Jesus would be so much sweeter to us through the recognition of what he has accomplished in his life and his death and his resurrection. I pray over these people I know there are heavy burdens on all of us in some form or another. And so I pray in these moments, those things would just be strangely dim so that we could concentrate upon you and what you're calling us to do today. And I pray this in the powerful and life-changing and saving name of Jesus, the King. For more information about Lost Mountain, visit us online at lmbc.us. Thanks for tuning in today.